women's rights in the world. Welcome to episode two of season three from the Women's IP World Annual Podcast, a podcast series that's shining a spotlight on women in intellectual property. I'm your host, Michelle Katz, and I'm the co-founding partner of the law firm Advitum IP, which in Latin means intellectual property for life. We are based out of the U.S. in Chicago. Me and my firm are hosting this podcast on behalf of Northens Media PR and Marketing Limited, based out of the U.K. and London. They are the publishers of the Women's IP World Annual and the Global IP Matrix Magazine. The 2023 edition of the Women's IP World Annual was just released and can be found digitally at www.womensipworld.com. Again, that's www.womensipworld.com. And you can listen to the annual as well on your favorite podcast app. Keep an eye out at IP conferences to pick up your hard copy. Today... We have the pleasure of getting to know Karina Gomers, ECTA's first vice president and partner at Wigan LLP. And you're based out in Belgium, is that correct? Yes, I am uh, based in Brussels, Belgium. And uh, thank you for having me on this uh, podcast today, Michelle. I've been really looking forward to talking about your article today, and we'll get into that in a bit. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, first, though, let tell us about your responsibilities with ECTA and, and what ECTA is. Well, ECTA is the leading European trademark association, and we have over 1,200 members. Um, I'm uh, currently ECTA's first vice president. We're on a, a rotating schedule when we enter the board of directors as uh, presidents. So uh, it's a term of six years, uh, and I'm the second term now, first vice president. That means that I'm in charge of the academic program of ECTA, and ECTA has several uh, webinars during the year that it organizes, but the main part is really our annual conference, the annual conference that will be held in Prague in June this year, and uh, so we have a very exciting academic uh, program there. And what a beautiful city to be in, in Prague, in June. Um, so lovely. It's, it's indeed lovely because... Um, well, you have the academic program, of course, but uh, we have also a lot of social events and you really can get uh, to see the city and come into places where you would not come if you're just regularly visiting the city. So um, everybody that is not registered yet, I warmly welcome to uh, register for this event. Well, thanks for that information. And uh, I want to understand a little bit more about the ECTA hierarchy. So I know that you're first vice president and you said there's 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 um, like a certain track. Does that lead you to president? Are you looking to be president then when you complete um, the the previous years? Yes, indeed. So uh, this year uh, I'm still vice first vice president. Also next year until June. 
at the annual conference in June of next year, which will be held in, uh, in Antwerp, in Belgium, in my uh, country. Uh, at the end of that annual conference, I will take over as ECTA's president for them the coming two years to go. Oh, I see. Okay, so first vice president means you're next for president, as opposed to then you have to become second president, third president, or you know, third vice president. So you're al- you've already put in some time in order. Yes. Okay, I get it now. Um, thanks for that clarification. Every organization ha- has a different way of handling their their board and yes. leadership to presidency. Okay, of well, course. wonderful, and and congratulations. Thank you've got, you. You've got a, a lot of work that you've done and a lot of work ahead of you. Yes, indeed. <laughs> okay, so that's wonderful. So, and I and I know you're a partner at the Wigan firm. Um, can you tell us about your firm and um, you know your responsibilities there and kind of the broad breadth about what your firm does? Yes, of course. Well, I joined Wigan uh, Wigan LLP um, just after Brexit Day, um, and it was actually tied into uh, Brexit uh, because Wigan at the time they did have a Brussels office, but the Brussels office was really focused on on copyright. So in Belgium, Wigan uh, only does IP and broader EU uh, law with uh, my partner here in the Brussels office, Ted Shapiro. Um, but um, in view of Brexit, they also have a very large trademark portfolio, EU trademark portfolio. And of course, um, they could not longer do that type of work from the UK after Brexit. And so they um, contacted me to see if I was interested in joining them. Um, And that was based on on personal connections as well, because I knew a lot of the UK-based IP partners at Wigan LLP. And so I wasn't looking at the time to change firms, but due to the good connections I had and uh, the high level of quality of uh, the firm uh, and its clientele, I then decided to join uh, Wigan LLP uh, the 1st of January, 2021, uh, that is. I see. Okay. And with respect to, you know, Brexit, how did that affect your career change? Or was that, were you just saying that that was the timing, you know, the timing of your change was Brexit? Or did the actual Brexit, the fact that that passed, did that have an impact on you changing your career path? That did have an impact on me as well, because in my previous firm, um, there was uh, not a lot of EU trademark work done by the Brussels office for internal uh, reasons. And so I really had an opportunity here to do a lot of EU trademark work. And I really wanted to do that work um, because I'm a a trademark lawyer. Uh, I do more trademarks than other types of intellectual property rights. Although as Belgium is a, a small jurisdiction, certainly compared to the United States where you practice, Um, I do also uh, handle the other type of intellectual property rights from copyrights to design and even patent cases. Just today, I started off with a uh, a calendar uh, to be set for for a patent case. Then I worked on submissions in a copyright case and then on some EU trademark matters. So it's really diverse um, type of work that I do within IP. And your your Brussels office, I, I mean, how many, how many, I know you have your partner there. 
Mm-hmm. Um, are there other attorneys or patent agents that are with you in that office? Yes. So we have uh, two senior associates. Um, we have actually another partner that is dividing his time between Brussels and the UK. Uh, we have a senior counsel here uh, who was actually uh, my mentor. Um, we've been working together for over 20 years and um, I have had followed him in the past to another law firm and now um, he uh, agreed to follow me this time uh, to Wigan LLP and then we have a number of other associates, uh, we have a trademark attorney and then we have our administrative staff um, and specifically also a person doing trademark formalities. Um, so we're a good team uh, in the Brussels office. And then you've got your a couple other offices in the UK, right? Yes, indeed. We have an office in Cheltenham, an office in London and an office in Edinburgh. And in the UK, um, the the law firm practices more than just intellectual property rights. Um, They uh, do a lot in the betting and gaming industry. They do a lot of work in film and TV, uh, digital entertainment. Uh, So they really work across or, or have a broader remit than intellectual property in the UK. And so have you found from your studies, and where, where did you do your, your law degree? At the University of Leuven in uh, Belgium. You're, you're versed in European law and with Brexit, you know, the changes there. Um, have, you, have you noticed a, a big difference in, in workload or client requests as a result to Brexit? Well, for me personally, there are more EU trademark matters um, assigned uh, to, of course, to the Brussels Wigan uh, offices. And um, I think in general, um, we've seen a growing interest in IP uh, over the years of my of my practice uh, on the trademark side, uh, the practice has uh, been growing steadily. You see that also if you see the statistics in, in filing trademarks. And also now currently, um, well, the UPC is, is big within uh, the EU and everybody is waiting until the 1st of June when the UPC will start and to see what will be the first cases and how that will be uh, developing. So it is, um, again, exciting times in Europe on the IP front. Yeah, and, and I think around the world, and we're going to step into um, diversity and inclusion and how that may also have an effect um, in what's happening in Europe, but also the rest of the world. So we're so fortunate to have you, Karina, as our introductory uh, voice for the 2023 Women's IP World Annual, um, which, I mean, is it just, just came out um, uh, last month. And uh, so we're really excited to have you as part of um, the Northern Media Group and to hear about the the things that you're doing to really move the needle in the in this space. So first, I, first, I just want to th- thank you for your participation in that. But then I want to dig in um, about, you know, why why is diversity and inclusion so important? How um, does it affect us positively? Are there things that you've tried that haven't worked? And in and in what capacity? Where you know. 
Does it work maybe in associations differently than law firms? So we're going to take that deep dive when we come back from a very quick break and talk about uh, the recent contribution to the annual. Have you started your marketing campaign plans for 2023? Are you interested in highlighting your services to the global IP community? Have you ever thought about publishing thought leadership content to build confidence with your industry peers? Why not consider the Global IP Matrix magazine in your 2023 marketing expansion plans? Our print, digital and non-intrusive audio formatted magazine is published only three times per year to give you, our client, the best possible exposure at a minimum of eight global intellectual property conferences and event seminars per issue. We publish 3,000 copies per issue and have built solid relationships with the likes of Inter, Ector, Marks and AIPPI, plus many more important IP event organizations internationally, to give our clients the best possible exposure in the correct physical IP social environments. We market our publications like no other industry magazine. We are the only IP magazine on the market that is published in a non-intrusive audio format, so you can listen whilst you work on your favorite mobile app. So, benefit from international exposure at IP events worldwide, continuous marketing of your services throughout the year, and working side by side with a passionate team that will work hard to shine the spotlight on your business and services like no other in the global IP community. The clients that are working with us now are the clients that have stuck with us since our launch back in 2018. Contact us today for an informal chat about your IP law firm or IP business, and let's discuss how we can work together. Call plus 44-0203-813-0457 or email info at gipmatrix.com www.gipmatrix.com The Global IP Matrix Magazine. Connecting you with the global IP community. Welcome back. So thank you for contributing the opening letter for the Women's IP World Annual. And it's entitled Diversity and Inclusion in the IP World from Law Firms to Associations. And from reading the letter, because of your involvement in ECTA, but also in a leading IP firm, that um, the topic of diversity and inclusion and inclusion in IP is kind of front and center in your life. Is that correct? Yes, that is uh, very much so. It's a topic very dear to my heart. So I was very happy to participate in uh, the Women's in IP World Annual. Um, and, and I also think it is important to, to highlight the differences between law firms and associations, uh, because there are differences. There are differences also with respect to industry. And uh, I really want to uh, include that as well in, in the letter. I think it is important um, on all fronts uh, that diversity and inclusion is tackled in law firms, in associations, in industry. Um, and it will really help um, to have this topic on the agenda. It will help uh, younger women uh, to further thrive in their careers. So first, I think for those that, you know, we don't want to assume everyone already understands diversity and inclusion. It is um, coined terms at this point that have meanings associated with them. Can you break down for us what's meant by diversity and inclusion? 
Well, I think, well, the diversity point at first is to make sure that teams you're working in or, or panels that you put up, for instance, uh, in my capacity as first vice president in an academic program, that you really seek to have a diverse panel where you show points of view of different um, backgrounds. So you have women, you have men, but you also, uh, it's not, we're talking of course here about the women's uh, IP world, um, but it, it goes further than the distinction of course between men and women. Um, you have uh, representation from all different kinds of jurisdictions that is also uh, important and from different regions um, because that really boosts creativity and we can all learn uh, from each other. And inclusion as well uh, to make sure that, that all these points of view are included and are heard. Um, and, and as I said, that makes um, it so much richer and more creative, which is of course within intellectual property, just the thing that we strive for to boost innovation and creativity. And why do you think that diversity and inclusion is so important to associations and then separately to law firms? Well, I don't only think that there is sufficient data that supports that um, if you have diverse teams, um, that they are more performant, that, as I said, they are more creative. And within associations, I think it is important because if you have, for instance, um, a panel, a diverse panel speaking in uh, an academic conference, such as the ACTA conference, uh, it can really also shape uh, the, the participants' point of view and younger um, people practicing in law firms that are part of that academic conference and see uh, these diverse panels can really uh, be inspired by that um, and see role models for them in their future careers. And I think the same holds true in law firms when you have diverse teams so that um, people can really uh, believe better in themselves that they have opportunities um, to, to, to move forward and to progress in their careers. And that can mean different things for different people. Uh, and that is also very much okay. Also, that is important. I don't think there is one unique way uh, in developing a career. There are different ways and having these diverse teams really shows that, um, that it is possible, uh, no matter what your background is, or no matter what your gender is, or where you come from. Yeah, I, 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 I totally agree. And it, inclusion is not, and it, it's not just at the base levels, right? Inclusion has to be all the, on all levels, on all levels of the association function and hierarchy and all, and all levels in the law firm to really to really affect positive change and, you know, results in great, you know, forms great teams usually ends with a result of, you know, a great result for the client, right? And that's absolutely true. And, and it is uh, important to see that across uh, the hierarchy, as you said, 
and I think we've 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 come um, a long way in that sense because I remember the very first discussions in diversity I had not in my uh, current uh, law firm uh, but in a previous life um, then there was this instance of of course but we have enough women on staff so surely we are a diverse law firm okay we don't have any women or we see women dropping off when they become senior associates at lawyers we hardly have any women in the partnership but that is not the problem because we have a lot of women in other roles within the firm and that is just not okay and I think nowadays we've come a long way from that discussion and really strive to have diverse teams throughout uh, the hierarchy. And it's also indeed a, a, a wish or a request from a lot of clients. And that's good because that is then an external motivation for law firms to deal and to tackle diversity issues. But of course, the external motivation, I think, is not sufficient. Really, the law firms and the associations have to find their own internal motivation as well and have to understand the importance of, of diverse teams. I, I'm not sure about in the EU, but in the US, women business owners were the fastest growing segment here. If you don't have women included in bringing on business into the firm, for example, right, then you could potentially be missing huge segments. So it really benefits the firm if they're if they're viewing it in a growth perspective. I mean, there's fairness, right? But then there's also looking at the business side too, uh, which could be a, a huge fail for law firms if, if they're not including um, women attorneys, attorneys, male or female, or you know, non-binary, whatever the case may be, that have different religious backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds. I mean, diversity runs deep, right? It, it's not just um, gender, as you mentioned. Yes, and we see that um, now recently, I think in the last years within the EU as well, but I think uh, in the United States, um, I think law firms um, are, are, are front runners in that respect. And what we see from our international clients uh, that they indeed now also request that from EU law firms, for instance, in pitch documents that you set out a diverse team and also some uh, clients um, take a more harder tune in the sense that they say, well, just promises and vague phrases are not sufficient. We really want you to show us who is going to work on the file and that it is a diverse team and we really want data from law firms and I think that that is good because in the end it will benefit the law firms as well and it's just indeed also a matter of fairness as you say. Yeah here we call it we actually have a term for it we call it diversity dollars that okay. corporations certain corporations uh, set a goal for diversity dollars so um, they may be more attuned towards buying products than services. It just depends. Uh, that, that's what that's what I have found. My my law firm is actually a certified woman-owned law firm, um, and so we do have um, a decent uh, client base that are women-owned businesses. So, and I was the former president of the National Association of Women Business Owners here in Chicago. 
um, which is one of the largest chapters. So, you know, when you're in these meetings and you're hearing what corporations are looking for, they are looking for diversity. And those RFPs that come through, they're very specific. They'll say, well, how many women lawyers, Mm -hmm. right? You know, because you might have, I I think it's learning through error, right? That, um, you know, people are writing down maybe the paralegals and they're really looking for the the decision makers on the case. Who's going to be my day-to-day contact? And some of these RFPs are really detailed in what they're asking for. Yes, and I think that's a good that's a good evolution, um, and and law firms will see uh, that they really need to step up. But in the UK, the EU, do you have this diversity dollar equivalent or or drive for companies to hire um, law firms that can kind of prove us like a a, ba- a baseline or a minimum of of diversity in their hiring? Well, in the UK, you have also a type of, of, of rankings of, of uh, law firms and how they are doing in terms of, of diversity. Uh, we don't really have a specific equivalent, um, but what we see in, in uh, indeed pitch documents is that um, the, the requirements are getting more and more detailed. And we also see, and I've, I've, I've heard from other um, male litigators that they've lost uh, litigation cases uh, in, in not the case as such, but lost uh, the work, the, the, the work mm-hmm. indeed, uh, to uh, another colleague uh, because their team that they proposed uh, was not sufficiently diverse. So, I mean, there there are many reasons to have diversity and inclusion within your firm. And uh, you know, and and association, um, but also for those that are doubting it, right? <laughs> doubting the benefit. Just look at the bottom line, right? Look at like just from your the examples there on the association side. I mean, I, I'll admit, you know, our our time is scarce. It's 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 um, it's really our time is our scarcest commodity, and. Especially now, I feel like out of the pandemic, it, it's like gangbusters. All the all the various webinars. You don't even have to go in person anymore, right? You can still do a lot of these things online in the comfort of wherever you are. And I remember one popping up, and there was zero diversity. So if there's zero diversity, that should put a picture in your mind of who was populating my email when it was showing the speakers. Zero diversity. Okay. Delete, yeah. just delete. <laughs> you probably sense my my fr- my frustration when I when I saw that, and I was like, "How how in this day and age do you have zero diversity?" I, I was on a uh, it was a live conference, and it was on the patent side, and you know, within IP, uh, there is this tendency also to say, "Well, women in IP they focus on the." what I hate as a term, the soft IP law, but well, patents, uh, that's not for women partners, which is so untrue and based really on nothing. But it was a patent conference and um, there was one panel, uh, all male. There was a second panel, all male. And I already had uh, murmured to my neighbor, like, wow, there are so many women 
that, that do patent law in private practice from the industry side, from the academic side, and they were all participants in, in, in just the conference, but they were not on the, on the panels. And then somebody was really brave to voice that. And the first, and they opened up for questions to the audience. And the very first question was, why is this now the second panel in a row with all white men? This is not a reflection of what the patent practice looks like. This is not sufficiently diverse. And I really thought I was really courageous and I would, would invite everybody to do that, to step up and to support uh, gender diversity or diversity and inclusion uh, more general, broader than, than, than gender, as you said. Right. Right. And I, I also take issue when, uh, and, I, and I help redefine soft IP uh, <laughs> because <laughs> just the terminology of it, that yeah. it's somehow soft. I guess certain people haven't been in enough litigation of trademarks to understand how how um, the term doesn't fit. No, it doesn't. It's 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 based on on nothing, and and trademark matters can be as complex as a as a patent matter. And why would women not be able to do patent matters as good as anybody else? If you have the expertise, if you work hard, if you have the interest, you can do it. Right. And to and and yeah, that that's a bit shocking for someone to say that in this day and age. Um, like it's not the 1940s or something like that. <laughs> um uh so but and 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 I see them as two separate two separate things. Of course, there are women who would be absolutely qualified to practice in the patent area okay and those numbers i do are are growing with the younger generations with the push on stem for women uh and then separately just the terms we use terminology referring to a particular area of law that has historically perhaps been more practiced in with you know in the with women practicing trademark law, calling it soft, as if um, there aren't, I mean, the rules are so intricate. And I've worked in both spaces. I, I'm, I'm a litigator and I've, I've spent, I had spent many, many years in patent litigation as well as trademark litigation. And I wouldn't call either area soft. No, you're right. I absolutely agree there. It's a terminology as well that is an issue. So when talking about, you know, ECTA and your role within the organization, how have um, the organization um, with, you know, you at the helm applied diversity and inclusion in, in, on the association level, you know, separate from the law firm side? I think within the association, uh, we have a lot of um, female members, um, but it's not only the membership, of course what we do um, as second vice president. So you first become uh, second vice president, then first, then, then president. As second vice president, um, you are responsible for all the committee work. And um, ACTA has uh, more than 10 uh, committees. I think we're now at 14 or 15 committees. And within those committees, you also have leadership functions. And also there, we strive 
for a representation and um, we ask uh, that the leadership takes into account diversity, um, not limited to gender, um, but also look further when they uh, when they allow people to join the committees so that you really have a, 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 a committee that is formed with participants or committee members from different, really different backgrounds. So that is one layer. And then within the uh, academic side, we really strive to have diverse panels. And uh, we also strive to have in uh, the annual conference, that will not be uh, already the case in Prague, um, but I am thinking of opening up uh, a session specifically on diversity and inclusion for the annual conference to because it is so so important and it sounds to me that just like in law firm practice ECTA the association itself has an eye on diversity and inclusion at, at, at all the levels in particular at the higher levels with this second vice president really kind of monitoring what's happening in on the committee level and who's participating in those committees. Yes, and I think you need that. You need that monitoring. You need that uh, leadership to really uh, be, be, be invested in having that eye open, those eyes open for diversity, because uh, it's, it's easy otherwise to, to, to slip away and to, um, well, go maybe for the obvious speaker, maybe because it is a man uh, that, that has volunteered to speak and then not go uh, for the less obvious choice, uh, which is a, a, a woman who is a, a very uh, good expert in her field, but maybe hasn't volunteered herself to be part of a panel. Um, so, so it is these things you need to be consciously aware uh, of the issue and uh, you need to have your leadership uh, that is really uh, tied in and to, to really tie in to um, strive for diversity and inclusion. And that's on us too, right? We need yeah. to be, we need to volunteer. We need to volunteer um, even, if that, comfort, even if we're not comfortable. Yes, and, and I, I do believe women are less comfortable in these things uh, than men, generally uh, speaking. But it is important. It is important to be heard, to be noticed, um, and to, to, well, to lean in, uh, so to say. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Karina, thank you for joining me today. To our listeners, please like, follow, share with your friends, but also feel free to send comments and questions. Uh, we do care. We listen, and uh, we want to hear your feedback. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Michelle. Women's Women's You have been listening to the Women's IP World Annual Podcast, hosted by Michelle Katz from Advitum IP in Chicago on behalf of Northern's Media PR and Marketing Limited.